You may be seated, everyone. As I mentioned, the Sunday before Thanksgiving is our testimony service. It's a Thanksgiving service. And so our verse today is one simple verse. It's Psalm 136, verse number one. And this is what it says. It says, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Let's say that together. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. That's a wonderful Thanksgiving verse there for us. There is a Christian mystic by the name of Meister Eckhart. And he wrote a prayer, he is a, a, a statement that he's uh, known for, where he said that if the only prayer we offer to God is thank you, that would be enough. If we lived our lives and every single day the only thing we said is thank you, that would be enough. Because there's something profound when our lives are marked by gratitude. There's something profound when our lives are marked with thanksgiving. There's something that happens in our soul. There's something that happens in our relationships with others. And there's something that happens in our relationship with God when our lives are marked by gratitude and thanksgiving. Now, there's a lot of pain in the world. And whenever there is pain, we are called to lament. At the same time, there's a lot of good in the world. And whenever we come across goodness, we are called to thanksgiving and gratitude. Gratitude, very simply stated, is the knowing awareness that we are the recipients of goodness. A knowing awareness that we are the recipients of goodness, which is to have us turn to face the source of goodness, which is God. And so Thanksgiving is a good opportunity, a good season for us to take note and to discern the ways that God has been good to us. Gratitude is not about ignoring reality, the particularly painful parts of reality, But gratitude is about discerning the ways that God has come to us, moved towards us, blessed us, been good to us, a knowing awareness that we are the recipients of goodness. One of the ways that we want to give thanks to God and bear witness to the ways of God is by hearing a testimony, a story from one of our new lifers. A couple of months ago in June, July or so, one of our new lifers, a guy by the name of John Kim, who's here, uh, came into my office and said, Rich, can I, get a t- can I get some time with you to share about an, ex- an experience I've had, a, s- a story of mine? And so we sat in my office, and about five, ten minutes into the conversation, hearing his story, my jaw just hit the ground because of how powerful this story was, how tragic this story was, how beautiful this story was, how redemptive this story was. And as he shared for about 25, 35 minutes or so, At the end of his sharing, I thought, John, would you be willing to share this story to our congregation on Thanksgiving? Because this story has deeply impacted me. I think it'll impact a lot of people. A story about forgiveness, a story about reconciliation, a story about the ways that God divinely connects our lives. And so for today's message, you're going to hear a really powerful story from one of our new lifers named John Kim. And so just welcome John. John, come up to the stage here as he shares a little bit of of his story. And as I've said at every service, this is the first time I'm doing this with chairs. How wonderful. How how wonderful is this here? All right. 
So thanks for giving me this opportunity, John, to do this. John, you've been coming to New Life for uh, just about a year. Yeah. Uh, just tell us a little bit about your family and you know just how you got to New Life. Yeah. Uh, so um, yeah, me and my wife um, we're originally from the Bay Area, California. We moved here um, November of last year. Uh, for the purpose of be going to school. So originally my plan was to go to um, NIAC and enter the social work program. But um, just very last minute, um, I felt God was calling me to actually go into the seminary and pursue um, calling my ministry. And that calling was actually confirmed here at New Life when I heard one of um, Rich's messages. So, you know, be careful when uh, Rich is speaking. He may transform your life. <laughs> change directions, so... <laughs> Now, when, we, when you came to my office and we spoke a few months ago, um, you named some of the uh, trauma you experienced, no. the difficulty, the pain you've experienced, um, uh, even before you were born, yeah. uh, just some of the tensions within your family. Can you just speak to that a little bit? Yeah, so, I mean, I, I come from a family of just a lot of dysfunction. Um, it's from the very beginning. Uh, when my mother, my mother and my father, they first met in Korea, um, you know, like, you know, within the year, I was, my mother was pregnant after she met him, but she had found out that my dad was uh, being unfaithful, that he was having an affair. And, um, I mean, he was, but just being just a terrible just person, I mean, he was also stealing money from her, just things like that, just a very, just not the greatest, um, spouse, you know, potential spouse. But uh, my mother, you know, she didn't want to have anything to do with him, so she, um, she wanted to have an abortion. And... Um, you know, back then she was not a Christian, but she had, she had one friend who was a Christian, and the friend was trying to convince her not to do it. But uh, my mom was like, no, I, I don't have anything to do with him. I'm going to do this. And so the, the, her friend was like, okay, but if you're going to do it, let me at least help you and set up the appointments and, you know, help you out here, because you, you never know what these doctors. So um, my mom goes to um, her first appointment, and the doctor says, I can't do this. I, um, it goes against my conscience. I'm a Christian. So, okay, so she goes, second appointment, same thing. Doctor says, I cannot do this, I'm a Christian. So then it dawns, she's like thinking, okay, my friend is setting up. I see what she, she's setting me up with Christian doctors, so I, I don't get this abortion. <laughs> and um, so she said, so she makes the appointment herself. She finally finds a doctor who'll do it. And so she's waiting in the waiting room, and right before they call her name, um, I start kicking. And that's when my mom changed her mind, and you know, she had me. And um, two years later, after that, um, my parents decided to come. That was when they came to the United States. We, we, you know, we um, landed in Oakland, California, lived there for a little bit, and then we settled down in a small town um, called Alameda. It's about like 10, 15 minutes away from um, San Francisco. Soon after um, you guys moved over here, when you were about five years old, uh, there was a, a significant life-altering um, accident that impacted your family. Um, on Christmas Day, that the night of Christmas Day, 1978, you came into my office and you, you shared with me um, just something that marked your family yeah. for a number of years. What's so significant about Christmas night, 1978? Yeah, so um, on Christmas night, 1978, my father was, um, you know, he was coming home from a Christmas party at my uncle's house. Um, he, he, they were, you know, he was heavily drinking. Um, he was intoxicated. I mean, this was... He was known to do this. I mean, he partied pretty hard back then. And uh, he, he was so drunk that he drove the wrong way into a tunnel from Oakland to Alameda. Had a head-on collision, you know, head -on collision with another car. 
Um, what resulted from that was that my dad ended up paralyzed from the waist down, would not be able to walk again, um, and was left just in years of just agonizing pain due to the spinal injury from the accident. And just um, growing up, seeing my dad, um, it just seemed like no matter how much pain meds he took, how much alcohol he drank, he, nothing seemed to be enough to alleviate this pain. So, you know, very typical day for me and my brother, just growing up from, say, elementary school to, you know, to high school, was, you know, just to come home. My dad would usually be drunk and high. Um, sometimes he would be unconscious because he had, he, he had uh, overdosed. We'd either have to call 911 or we would have to um, wake him up, clean him up. You know, like a, a very vivid memory I have is uh, coming home and finding him half naked, unconscious in the bathroom because he, he slipped and slipped there and I guess he was trying to take a shower. And, you know, we would have to just go through the motions of dressing him, cleaning him up, putting him to bed before my mom got home so as uh, not to upset her. And, um, you know, my father was severely depressed. Um, the three words, three, three sentences he would repeat over and over again would be this, I'm being punished by God, I'm cursed, and I just want to die. And um, I would say in my sophomore year was the, when he made his first suicide attempt. And he had actually stabbed himself. And um, unfortunately, my brother was the one to come home and find him that way. And um, you know, it was only by God's grace that he survived. And by God's grace that, you know, in his later years, um, he sobered up. And he became, you know, he came to peace with himself and God before he passed away in uh, 2008. And it's about 10 years ago yeah. now. Uh, now, in that time of you experiencing your father uh, in that state, uh, you actually come to Christ. So yeah. just talk a little bit about how did you come to faith in Jesus? Uh, yeah. So, um, you know, after having many conversations with, our, with my family, and, and my father actually admitted this as well, we all agreed that, you know, even though this was the worst uh, thing that could ever happen to our lives, it actually ended up also being the best because it's through this accident that we all came to faith in Christ. Um, you know, th because through the accident, as a result of it, my dad actually had a near-death experience, which he saw Jesus face to face. Um, that led him to faith in Jesus. He was obviously a broken man, you know, a believer struggling with a, an impossible situation, the best that he could. Um, and uh, my mother... You know, uh, witnessing this um, and hearing about this um, near-death experience, she, she followed along right after him, gave her life over. And for me, just seeing the joy in my mother's life, um, you know, afterwards, d despite like, the most difficult circumstances, it, it made it me very easy for me to um, give my life over when I was in high school. And um, just this year, my, um, my brother gave his life over to Christ. Mm -hmm. Yeah, wonderful. Now, the amount of pain and trauma and um, suffering your family has endured is just in, in that one experience and what it led to that, it's, it's enough for uh, many lifetimes. And on that Christmas night, it wasn't just your family right. who was impacted. Um, your father didn't just drive on the wrong side of the tunnel and crash into uh, something there. Mm -hmm. He crashed into another car, another family. Uh, and so talk about um, 
this guy named Earl came yeah. to my office and said, there's this guy named Earl that was deeply impacted as well yeah. uh, in this accident. Talk about him. Yeah, so um, I would say about um, I say it's eight years ago, um, I, I just happened to come, come across a, um, a newspaper article from my hometown, and it was just talking about this um, blind musician named Earl Rivard Jr., you know, he was becoming, getting a lot of success. Um, he was playing a lot of big venues in San Francisco and all over the country. And just talked about how he was able to overcome all the, odd, the odds of being disabled and blind and how he overcame all of this and to be success, such a success. And as I'm reading this article, um, it article says... Just, that's on the screen as It well, says how he was blinded. And it says that in 1978, Christmas night, a drunk driver went the wrong way into the tunnel from Oakland to Alameda and had a head-on collision with his family's car. Uh, Earl was four months old at the time, and he was sitting on um, his mother's lap in the front seat. So when I saw this, this article, I just thought, no, this cannot be. And uh, I looked at you know, the details matched perfect. perfect. So I, I showed it, the article to my mom, and she confirmed, yeah, it's true. There was um, another baby in the car that was blinded, and that looks like that's him. And um, it, what occurred to me was, you know, all these years, my mother, my parents never told anything about this. And um, I think it was because they, they felt so guilty and ashamed of what happened. And um, it, it, it helped me understand, finally, the, um, why my dad carried such, so much guilt. You know, why he might have been saying, I'm being punished by God and being cursed. Because I, I could never understand why he could never, he had such difficulty um, believing that God could forgive him of all of his sins. And it was just a constant struggle, but until I discovered Earl, it was then that I finally understood kind of the whole picture. And I just remember after that article, I just prayed for him, and I just said, God, you know, I just prayed that he would have a relationship with you, and that you would take care of him, bless him, and just restore his life because of the damage that my dad had done. Um, Now, some eight years later, um, actually, a couple of months ago or so, uh, Peter wrote in, Pastor Peter comes up to you, or I believe that's how it came yeah. up, and you, you're, into, you're in seminary now, and you're thinking about ministry opportunities, and a conversation ensues about you giving a class or something like that. Yeah. Uh, tell us about that conversation, and... Um, and what that you know? What was the next step out of that? There. Yeah. So you know, Peter asked me if I wanted to uh, lead a Bible study, and I kind of said, okay, you know. Um, and um, I chose the topic of suffering and grief because you know something that I'm familiar with is close to my heart. Um, it's kind of part of my testimony. But um, you know, I, as I was preparing the study, I thought about Earl, the story of Earl, because earlier this year, uh, my wife kind of brought him back up again. And she just said, like, whatever happened to that guy Earl, that story you told me a long time ago? I was like, oh, yeah, you know, like, what do you think he's, what has he been up to? So um, I looked online, and I started doing some research, and I come across a YouTube video. And in the YouTube video, it's basically Earl giving his testimony of how he comes to Christ um, and how he's grown in his faith, you know, despite the challenges and difficulties and just the pain that he experienced um, being blind. And I'm watching this video, and he's, he's describing my dad. You know, he does, this drunk driver who crashed into his family's car in 1978 on Christmas and how he was blinded at four months old. And he just describes, you know, just the pain that he experienced and the struggles. 
of that. And, you know, he talked about the pain of going to um, elementary school for the first time with a cane and having the kids uh, bully and pick on him because they didn't understand why he was different. You know, he described the pain of... Uh, uh, he described the pain of his mom dying when he was in high school. Uh, and then... Um, <clears throat> And then talked about the pain of, um, you know, falling in love for the first time and only to have his girlfriend reject him because her parents would not allow her to marry a blind man who they thought had nothing to offer. He talked about uh, the pain of, um, you know, coming. From, he graduated from the best university, one of the best universities in the country, but he couldn't find a job because all the employers saw was his disability. He said, you know, shortly after this, he, he went into a very deep dark, deep, dark depression. And he just thought to himself, you know, is this all that life has to offer me? Just pain and disappointment. And it was right at that time, he gets hit by a car. He gets hit by a car, he ends up in the hospital, broken bones, and he's lying in the hospital. And he's, in his words, he says, you would have thought that would have been the final nail on the coffin that would destroy all, any little faith that he may have had left of God existing or caring about him. But it, it dawned on him that, wow, I, I could have easily died. You know, why am I still alive? And if I'm alive, does perhaps God may have a purpose? Does he have a plan for me? And he said from that point on, he just began to really seek after God. Um, and, you know, as the years passed by, he said that God just began to really bless and restore his life. Um, he, he found steady work, um, working as a music teacher um, at a special needs school for um, mentally handicapped adults and others who are disabled. Um, he was able to um, meet a beautiful wife and get married. And um, he, he got very involved in ministry. Um, he leads uh, he, what they call heal, some healing retreats where he incorporates his story and his music and um, he, he leads worship um, at his church using the gift that God has given him. Um, so after I saw that video, you know, I broke down, I broke down crying. I, you know, I cried because, you know, obviously the pain that he had gone through, the suffering he had gone through, and feeling somewhat uh, guilty, like, I, you know, I felt somehow res- responsible, our family did. And, but I was also crying out of joy because God had answered my prayer that he did come into his life, blessed it, and restored it. And um, so back to the Bible study, um, I'm thinking of Earl, and I think, well, why not incorporate a story into the study with my testimony? That would be kind of cool. And then as I'm preparing for it, I felt the Holy Spirit um, just nudging me um, and prompting me, saying, why don't you try to reach out to Earl? And I just thought, "I I don't know if I could do that. You know, for all I know, this man hates me. He may not want to have anything to do with me. And um, after a lot of prayer, I and you know, got the courage. You know, I found his phone number on his website, and I called him. I called him, and you know, I was very nervous and just rattled. I didn't know what to say, and so I left like a very creepy voicemail. <laughs> <laughs> and um, the voicemail was as I said, "Hi, my name is John Kim. I'm really into you." I'm, 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 re- I'm really into your music and your story, and we have a deep connection. And I think 
if you call me, I, I can explain this, you know, in more detail. And um, I hung up, and I just thought, oh my gosh, he's never going to call me back. And um, surprisingly, the next morning, I see he calls me back. And um, he says, hi, this is Earl. You know, um, you called. How can I help you? I said, man, I don't know how else to tell you this, but it, it was my father that caused the accident that made you blind. And he, I just heard a sigh. He just said, <sighs> he said, I, th- I had an inkling it was you. And I said, why do you say that? And he said, well, you know, years ago, my father, he gave me the name of the driver, and it was like a Chang Kim. And when you said Kim, that, uh, and you said we had a connection, that's what came to mind. And at that time, and at that point, I just kind of broke down, and I was like, I don't know what to say. I don't know what I can do to fix this. You know, I don't know what to do. You know, I'm sorry. And he just kind of stopped me, and he said, like, you know, before you say anything else, I just want to let you know something. I forgive your father. I forgave him a while ago. I put that past behind me. I don't hold any ill will against you or your, your family. I wish them the best. I, I don't know what kind of man your dad was, but I assume he was a good man. And I just want you to know that. And I told him, man, you have no idea what that means to me and my family. Um, you know, my father, I told him my father suffered a lot, not just physically, but he suffered with tremendous guilt. And um, I, didn't, I never understand that guilt until, you know, I, I met you, I found out about you, and I think he held the guilt of um, what, he had done, what he had done to you, the damage that he had caused. And um, so, man, I, I just thank you so much for, you know, for forgiving, because, because knowing my dad, there, if there's one thing that he wanted more than anything in life next to not suffering was to be forgiven by you, mm-hmm. knowing him. And... Um, you know, I just want to thank you for that. And then we talked more the next morning, and Earl tells me, yeah, you know, it's interesting. I'm glad that you called because, you know, last year my priest approached me, and he said, have you really forgiven this man who blinded you? And he, he said he thought he did because in the ch- growing up in the church, that's what he was taught to do. But he, he realized deep inside he had not forgiven him and said that was the first time that he forgave my dad. But... He said, it wasn't until he verbalized to me over the phone, I forgive your father to me. Even though my father passed away, I represented him. That he said there was this tremendous weight that was like lifted off of his shoulders. Mm. And I told him that was the same thing I felt. This weight was lifted off my shoulders. And, you know, for the, we talked for a little bit and we just kind of shared our lives with one another and we discovered we had a lot of things in common. Uh, one thing was that, you know, Earl said that when he was from five to nine, he prayed every day that God would heal him of his blindness. And by the time he was nine, he realized it's never going to happen. And he experienced just this, this disappointment with God. Mm-hmm. And I told him I did the same thing. From the time that I was five to nine, I prayed for my dad every day that he'd be healed. didn't happen. And I also felt that disappointment and that discouragement, wondering if God really was there. Um, Another interesting thing is we were both going to this, we ended up, we were going to both go to the same college. We were both at UC Berkeley, and we were both probably on the campus at the same time. We may have walked past each other without even knowing. Um, and then uh, another interesting thing we had in common was both, our, we, we both met our wives on eHarmony. <laughs> well, I thought that was kind of cool. So, so endorsement for eHarmony. eHarmony. Yeah. 
sign up today. <laughs> so, um, you know, as we ended our conversation, we both agreed, you know, even though this terrible tragedy happened, we agreed that God was still good and that he was able to use this tragedy for good. And we, pray, we closed in prayer and we said, look, let's pray that one day we'll be able to meet face to face and one day we'll be able to share our story together on stage. Well, as you share that um, with me in the summertime, and uh, I was so deeply moved, as I know many of you are moved at this moment. And um, we wanted to capture Earl's side of the story as well. And so we asked a video person out in California to capture Earl's story particularly of his encounter with John as well. And someone sent some footage over, and one of our new lifers edited it together. And so I just want to show you Earl's, who he is, and his encounter with John just a few months ago. And so hit the lights and check out Earl's story. My name's Earl Rivard. I live in San Jose, California. You know, it's Christmas night of 1978. We had spent the day with my grandparents celebrating Christmas, and my parents were driving back to our place, and uh, we were hit head-on by a drunk driver. My parents both kind of walked away from it with minor injuries, but I I was a little, you know, a little baby. I was four months old. Uh, I made it, but I made it with an almost complete loss of eyesight. I experienced a lot of uh, alienation as a kid, and I really had trouble kind of making friends. I had trouble being understood. I mean, I can remember just praying day after day after day as a four and five-year-old child for a miracle, basically. And then when no miracle came for a long time, um, God was not my buddy uh, (laughs) in terms of kind of how I saw him. Just a couple months ago, this was in July of uh, of this year, and I see that I have this voicemail and, and I you know, it's from a number I don't recognize, and I play it, and, and, I, and I hear this guy on the line. Hi, Earl. Um, my name's John Kim. Years and years ago, my dad read me a newspaper article about the, uh, the accident that had caused the blindness. And, uh, and I couldn't remember the name of the guy who hit me, but I remembered that the last name was Kim. And I talked to my wife about it and played her the voicemail, and we talked about it. And we're like, well, you know... Um, Let's give him a call and let's, uh, let's see what happens. The, the first thing he expressed was it was a great deal of surprise. He just couldn't believe that I'd called him. You know, he kind of hesitated for a minute and then, and then he, just, he just said it. He just said, look, you know, there's no, there's no easy way for me to tell you this. Um, my dad is the guy who caused your blindness. Uh, and I said, look, you know, John, uh, before we go any further, I need you to know and I need you to know for sure and for certain that I forgive your dad. As I said that, as I said those words, I knew that I meant them. Like I just knew in my heart and to the depth of my being that I wasn't just saying it. It was like a release of something that, um, you know, that maybe I'd been holding on to for a while. My whole life, there was some somebody out in the world who had done this thing to me. But to actually hear the voice of, you know, of his son, to know that, that, this, that this person was reaching out to me, it was just this lifting of this tremendous burden from off of my shoulders, and I could sense the lifting of the burden from his shoulders, too. I could feel just the weight just fall off of both of us 
You know, I've thought a lot about forgiveness in the months since John and I have been in touch. I think that forgiveness um, is is just absolutely essential to our to our well-being, to our peace. I've just found myself thinking so much about Christ and thinking about the forgiveness that he has offered me. One of the things that I learned in talking to John uh, was that his dad um, had passed away a number of years ago. As it happens, my mom passed away, and, and John's mom has passed away as well. And, and, you know, I've thought many times about how much joy they must experience at seeing this wound uh, faced and healed. It's it's just a, it's a beautiful thing to meditate on that kind of heaven is going to be of this place where there is no you know where, where any injuries that we may have done to one another are they're just gone they're just wiped away. Though I may journey far away from home, I know I'll never be alone. This is the, our third service. I've seen this video now three times, and I'm still moved to tears. Um, when I see Earl singing, mm. when I see the ways that God connects our lives, I mean, John, I can imagine, and that's me as an outsider. Mm -hmm. You saw this video for the first time today. Uh, what has it meant for you to, to see this? Yeah, I mean, I just, I was just amazed, you know. I mean, this is the first time, like, I'm really seeing him face-to-face, -face besides that video, um, where, where he's at currently. And so I, I'm just amazed that just how God orchestrated all of this for him to be able to be on this video, and that God answered our prayers, that we would be able to be on stage sharing the story with one another. Now, he wasn't here physically, but he's on video. What really um, struck me was how he said, how our parents were no longer here, we must be celebrating today. And I imagined, like I could see our parents in that balcony right there above watching us right now, um, smiling. There's a lot of people in our church who have suffered, are suffering, a lot of trauma in our church, and the bigger the church, the more trauma, um, lots of loss, addictions in families, mm. parent-child um, challenging dynamics. What's some words of encouragement out of your own story and experience that you would offer to uh, folks in this room and, and folks who are going to be watching this online. Yeah. Um, I hope our story shows you that, you know, 
even when you don't see it, you know, God is working on your behalf behind the scenes. Um, for us, God was working on behalf for 40 years, and we, we just found out. We just, he discovered, we just discovered that today, and he just showed that to us as a gift. Um, one thing that Earl wanted to share was, you know, uh, when you're in your pain, just wait patiently because it will be in your pain that God will eventually show up. And I would add that when he does show and you wait, that you will be able to repeat the words of Job who says only after he has suffered. You know, before I heard of you, God, but now I see you. And, you know, deep inside, isn't that what we all really want in life, especially when we're in pain, is to be able to know that God is real, that he's there, so real, and that we have such an intimate relationship with him that it's as if we see him. And Earl cannot see us visually, but as I've gotten to know Earl and his intimate walk with Jesus, I can guarantee you he sees God. Um, For those who have been hurt and for those who have hurt other people, uh, in order for there to be healing, I, I encourage you, please, you know, seek out forgiveness and reconciliation. Um, one thing I've learned is that from all of this is, you know, the abundant life, that joyful life that Christ talks about in the Bible, it doesn't come from a life of comfort and an absence of pain, but it comes from being able to see him, having such an intimate relationship with him. It's as if we see him face to face and allowing him to use our pain and redeem it so that we can bless other people. And that's kind of what we've done today. Yeah. Let's just thank God for John and thank John here. Just for, for I was deeply moved by Earl's act of forgiveness. And I couldn't help but to think about this is the gospel story. This is the story of the Bible. Of, in our case, in humanity's case, we didn't just blind God, we killed God. We crucified him or sin. And on the cross, Jesus Christ screams out to the Father, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. This is the essence of Christianity that we serve a God who would forgive his enemies and invites us to live with that kind of freedom as well. I want to have our worship team come forward. There's a lot of pain in our room, in our world, in our church. And yet God comes to us, reveals himself to us, provides divine encounters, pours out grace and mercy. And on this Thanksgiving week, our simple prayer and the words coming back to Meister Eckhart is, thank you. Lord, thank you that even in great pain, you come to us. 
Lord, thank you that even in great suffering, you visit us, you heal us, you restore us. And as we close in song, if we just sang thank you, that would be enough. And so let's all stand as our worship team leads us in a song of thanksgiving before our Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. As we close, I want to invite our prayer team to come to my right. Invite those who are going to offer the bread and the cup to come forward as well. And I want to give us just a moment to close your eyes for a moment. And I want you to listen just for perhaps God's invitation to you to stay. The circumstances might be different from our lives and John's, but the underlining layers that John spoke to are all realities that all of us have experienced. Whether it's family members dealing with addictions, whether it's trauma that we've experienced or a family member has experienced, whether it's unforgiveness and the need for reconciliation, our circumstances might be different, but beneath the surface, we all have to deal with the same stuff. And I wonder what the Holy Spirit's invitation to you this day is. Maybe it is an act of reconciliation. Maybe it is an act of forgiveness. Maybe it's an act of naming, Lord, this is the trauma I face that I have not come to terms with, that I have not named, that I have not faced, that I have not surrendered to your suffering love. What's God's invitation for you? In just a few days, we're going to be having meals with families, with friends. For some of us, this is a joyful thing. For others, this is a very painful thing. To go back home for some is filled with all kinds of history and pain and suffering and trauma and grief and loss. And as you go into this Thanksgiving week and on Thanksgiving in particular, we need to name the areas where we need God's power, where we need God's grace. Our prayer team is going to be here. And for whatever needs you have, we want to pray for you. Some of you might not even be a Christian today. You've never said yes to Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is calling you by name, summoning you to himself. He has grace and mercy and forgiveness and loving kindness and salvation waiting for you. If only you would say yes to him and follow him. And so for whatever needs you have, we'd love to pray for you. We have Carol here, one of our elders, who will offer the bread and the cup to you as well. And when we take the bread and dip it in the cup, we are reminded of the suffering love of God in the person of Jesus Christ, who says, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they are doing. And as we take that bread, we are somehow mysteriously and mystically and spiritually being transformed a little bit more into the image of Jesus where we can say the same. 
As we close, I want to invite you to open your hands towards heaven to receive a blessing. John will be downstairs with me in the lobby area, so if you want to just shake his hand, if you want to just thank him for pouring out his heart and his life to us, you can do that. But as we close, let me offer words of blessing. And the reason we close this in this way every Sunday is because the world is filled with cursing. And we leave the house of God knowing that the favor of God, the loving kindness of the Father, the companionship of the Holy Spirit is with us. And so with your hands and hearts in a posture of receiving brothers and sisters and sons and daughters of the living God, may the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine upon you and fill you with peace. And may you walk out of this building in the power of the Holy Spirit, knowing the love of God for yourself. May you experience the forgiveness, the grace, the mercy of Jesus Christ. And may you, in turn, offer that to the world around you. And may reconciliation and love and grace and mercy and forgiveness flow through your life through the power of the Holy Spirit. I bless you all today in the strong, in the beautiful, in the reconciling name of Jesus. And all of God's people said, Amen. Grace and peace to you all.